You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Police have identified a homicide victim found in a burned out car in Surrey yesterday. Kieran Desi was just 19 years old, a college student. She recently received a kidney transplant and is not known to police. We'll bring in Ramina Dea now has been working on this story. Uh, Ramina, what do we know about a motive or possible motive here? It's still a mystery, Chris. This young lady was not on police radar, as you said. There is no hard evidence tonight to suggest why she was targeted. 19-year-old murder victim Kieran Desi was a survivor. She had spent uh, the last couple of years uh, struggling uh, with um, some health issues, and she had recently recovered from uh, a kidney transplant. Um, she persevered through all of that um, and uh, to have this happen um, is overwhelming for her family. They're very upset and our hearts and thoughts are, are with them right now. The Kwantlen University student not known to police, no gang connections, but homicide investigators believe her murder was targeted. Corporal, why do you believe it's targeted? It's, uh, from evidence at scene, we believe that the incident uh, was not random. Desi left her home in Surrey Tuesday at 9 p.m. She was on her way to meet friends. About three hours later, at 12.20 a.m., her body was found in a burned-out SUV which belonged to her family. Ihit says she was murdered in a different location. The motive? A mystery. Was Miss Desi the subject of any police complaints recently where she was worried about her safety, any threats against her? As I understand, she was not known to us. Okay. But did she hadn't come forward or family come forward with anything suggesting that she may have been in trouble or someone may have been after her? As far I'm, uh, as I understand it, she wasn't known to us. A crushing loss for Desi's loved ones. Online, under the hashtag Justice for Kieran, friends are promising to fight for justice. All right, Ramina, any information on a suspect or suspects in this case? Chris, I hit will only say that they are speaking to persons of interest, but they won't tell us how they're related to Desi. At this point, they want to talk to anybody who knew her. Chris. Thanks, Ramina. Vancouver police appealing for tips from the public about a shooting in East Vancouver last night. Police say a man had just parked his car on Kamloops Street near East 10th when he was shot at as he was sitting in the driver's seat. Now, no one was injured, but the victim's car and another unoccupied vehicle were hit before the suspect took off in a waiting vehicle. An unthinkable situation now in Maple Ridge. A caregiver fired after leaving a developmentally disabled woman locked in a hot car. A passerby noticed the woman in distress in the parking lot of a grocery store and thankfully called 911. Jill Bennett shows us how quickly temperatures can soar into the danger zone. It was around 2 p.m. Tuesday, the temperature hovering near 30 degrees. Carrie Klein pulled into this parking lot and saw a woman locked inside a small car. Sweating, like her hair was dripping with sweat. I could tell that she was special needs. And so I got out of my car and I went right to their car and I tried to open the doors. Klein then called 911. As she did, she says the caregiver for the woman in the car came out of the store. 
she came up and I said, is this your car? She came with her groceries and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get her out of the car. She goes, she can't go out in public. She has OCD and autism. I'm shocked. I just, you know, people. <laughs> shocked. <laughs> I don't know what goes through people's head. Maybe they thought they were only going to be five minutes. It's believed the woman was in the car for about 10 minutes. We decided to put it to the test to see how hot it gets inside there in that short amount of time. According to this, we're now sitting at about 37 degrees Celsius. That was two minutes in. By the eight-minute mark, it was almost 45. I've got sweat running down me. I've sweat through my clothes. I can't imagine what it would be like not knowing that in 40 seconds I can take myself out of this car. It's very hard to be able to to regulate our temperature at those types of temperatures. And so as a result of that, it has effects in terms of our uh, uh, cardiovascular system, and it also has effects in terms of not really being able to cool down ourselves. The company that employed the caregiver has responded, saying, we would like to thank the caring member of the community who reported yesterday's situation to the authorities. Due to confidentiality, we can only disclose that the support worker's employment with PCCR was immediately terminated. But the company also maintains the worker has an impeccable record and that she made a mistake. Jill Bennett, Global News. Tenants of a West End apartment building are being advised to move out. Large cracks are appearing in the walls and there are fears the building could even collapse. Ted Trinecki explains why some feel that new construction next door may be to blame. Ted. Yes, the deeper they dig, the more concerned are the residents in those 22 units of that three-story apartment building behind me because they're seeing cracks that weren't there months or even days ago. It wasn't even the tenants who first started noticing these cracks about six weeks ago on the outside of this aging three-story building. Crack in the chimney uh, was one of the first things that that was noted by the construction company across the way. The hole has to be deep to accommodate parking and such for a 22-story high-rise that's slated to be completed by 2018. This whole area is slated for high-rise densification, rendering any three-story wood frame building in the way. All of the cracks that are in the building are new. Inside, some tenants claim there are new cracks every day, like this long line in the parking garage that no one can remember being there before, or the fire doorway that's now skewed. It's a crack there as a, an indicator, but the, the actual result is that you uh, cannot close the fire door anymore. A letter sent recently advises tenants to find other accommodation as soon as possible. Quote, the building may be collapsed if the next door construction extraction go deeper. No letterhead and no name under a scribble that could be a signature. The residents here at this building are very concerned. They have seen cracks that they say weren't there before. uh, And they received a letter from their landlord saying, get out uh, because the building could collapse. Uh, So they wonder, is the building safe? Or they wonder, is this just being used to try and push them out of their suite so that a higher rent could be charged? Vancouver City inspectors returned to the three-story building today, but stood by their previous conclusion that these cracks were pre-existing. However, they did suggest to the owner that he hire an engineer to determine if the building is still sound. So although there's a lot of angst, no one seems to be taking that quasi-eviction notice seriously just yet, but it depends what happens in the days and weeks ahead, whether that will change. Chris, Sophie? Ted Janecki in the West End. A heads up for long weekend travelers hitting the Peace Arch crossing. Pack your patience. Construction at the border is expected to create long delays. Starting tomorrow, two lanes will be closed, and that's expected to last all of August. Keep that in mind if you're heading there. 
A shockingly dangerous stunt caught on dash cam video in Kelowna. Take a look at the logging truck further up in traffic. You can see someone climb out of the vehicle behind it and scale the logs at the back of the truck. This happened on Highway 97 on one of the busiest sections that runs through the city. The guy eventually gets back in the car and the driver takes off. The car literally came up underneath the back of the logging truck and the guy stepped off the load onto the hood of the car again and climbed back into the roof. Things could have gone bad real fast. All kinds of scenarios could have been an outcome from being very hurt or killed. Of course, it's not only dangerous, it's obviously against the law. If the man is caught, he could face a charge of public mischief. It's one of the best weapons in the battle against B.C. wildfires. Backburns, literally a way to fight fire with fire. But residents living near Clinton say their properties are now in jeopardy because of a backburn that went wrong. Our Nadia Stewart is live with more on this tactic and how the province defends its use. Nadia. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. The province says when a fire gets to be as big as Elephant Hill, they have to fight it with fire. Now, they agree that it is risky, but they are defending it tonight as the best weapon in their arsenal. Concerned Clinton residents look on as a helicopter tries to extinguish a quickly moving wildfire, one sparked by a controlled burn that went terribly wrong. The fire that's on the west side of 97 now that they're responsible for, it, it's not part of the Elephant Hill fire. It's a wholly different fire. They created it. They made it. They stretched themselves there by it. It happened along Highway 97 on Tuesday near Loon Lake Road. Crews were backburning when they say the wind suddenly and unexpectedly shifted, sending embers flying to the other side, sparking a new fire, leaving residents to question the wisdom of fighting fire with fire. My neighbors, and there's three of them that all have cattle, uh, they were safe the BC Wildfire Service says this incident is rare, but they've been doing controlled burns on Elephant Hill and other big fires for weeks now, describing it as their best tool to fight fires thousands of hectares in size. Using fire to fight fire can remove a lot of fuel very quickly. What's more, he says setting up guards along fires as big as Elephant Hill could take too long. For now, the plan is to be safe, but move as quickly as they can to gain much-needed ground. Long-term, there could be more off-season burns to remove the fuel in the backcountry. With the kind of fires we're seeing this year, um, that is one of the best options we've got. And if we're going to continue to see seasons like this, you know, plant conditions are something that uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of. Nadia, very smoky in Metro Vancouver and obviously there in Kamloops. Some of the worst air quality in the province and it's affecting the airport too. Yeah, that's right. Flights are delayed here. Just to give people a, a sense of how bad it is, the air quality health index usually goes on a scale of 1 to 10. Here in Kamloops, sitting at a 49 this afternoon, but it was worse where we were earlier today up near Cash Creek at the junction of Highway 99 and Highway 97. Visibility uh, was only about half a kilometer ahead of us. So just I know folks in Metro Vancouver think it's pretty bad, but got to say, Sophie, it's even worse up here. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that, Nadia. Well, more than a dozen heat records were shattered yesterday, and if you were hoping for a break in the weather, no such luck. The air quality advisory and heat warning continue for the south coast. Julia Foy has more on how this hot, dry, smoky weather is impacting our summer.
Closed now. It's closed, yeah, oh, unfortunately. If you're planning to visit your local forest to beat the searing heat, you might be out of luck. Several parks and trails in Delta, Richmond, and Cultus Lake have been closed to the public. I don't think it's extreme at all considering the weather and, yeah, the threat of fire. Well, I think it's a good decision. But for us, we like to go to park. The closures come after Metro Vancouver raised the fire danger from high to extreme. We're asking people to stay away. Um, we're hoping for rain uh, sometime. And uh, it, it's just one of the things we have to do here in Delta to protect our community. Tinder dry grasslands in many picnic areas has also led to some new restrictions. Richmond has also just banned the use of any kind of outdoor cooking barbecue. That means charcoal and propane. And in addition to that, don't even think about having a smoke. We've had more than 55 fires in July caused by discarded smokers' materials. That makes that the number one cause of fires in Richmond right now. Don't expect a break from the sweltering weather anytime soon. The heat is on. We set 15 record temperatures yesterday. Many more will fall today and likely tomorrow. And then uh, not quite as hot, but still up to 30 inland on the weekend. That means more people will be heading to the water to cool off. Today, a lifeguard organization did a rescue simulation at Bunsen Lake to help educate people about the dangers of drowning. Most people would rather not wear their life jacket, and having it in a boat seems to be enough for some people, but it's when you actually need that life jacket to work for you, it's not enough. It has to be on for it to work. BC Ambulance says emergency calls are up because of the heat and smoky skies, so take your time when you're playing outside. Julia Foy, Global News. And one last note about how dry it is out there. This grass fire breaking out at King George and Colebrook Road near the Birdies and Buckets Golf Course in Surrey. It's believed a spark from a passing train may have started the fire. Thankfully, crews got there quickly, got the upper hand, and no structures were damaged. Bad habits behind the wheel that are driving everyone crazy. ICBC just completed a new survey of motorists trying to figure out why crashes and claims are way up. What it reveals about the way we drive, even if we don't want to admit it, in just over a minute. Do you buckle up in the back seat of a taxi? The dramatic and convincing video that shows why you should every time. Later on the news hour. And President Trump's private phone calls. Leaked transcripts of some sensitive conversations with world leaders giving a fascinating glimpse into the politics of being president. Well, driving has never been more aggravating. That's one of the key takeaways from a new survey of motorists. The study was commissioned by ICBC attempting to figure out why accident rates and claims have skyrocketed recently. John Waugh explains why most people seem to think that it's someone else's fault. A student driver, Matilda Shapland, is a clean slate. Any people? No. Nope. Any cars stop before us? No. I think Not only cautious, but conscientious of the rules of the road. And then how's your visibility to the left? I can't see until I creep. The question, is it all downhill from here? Sweater right there. Are they texting or are yeah, they? What? Yeah, driving in the classes and seeing all this stuff that I've been told not to do. A big reason why many participants of a new ICBC survey think driving in this province is harder than it was five years ago. A lot of the things that they make you do for the test, people kind of just tend to not do those anymore. But me personally, no. While they're quick to blame everyone else, 99% still think they're above average. 
behind the wheel. We're up to a crash almost every two minutes in BC. Uh, we wanted to get an idea of how drivers are perceiving this. Welcome to the Insurance Corporation's Confessional, where self-proclaimed great drivers admit their guilt. I would speed quite a bit. Tend to not shoulder check as much as I probably should. 32% of drivers bend the rules when no one is around. Then there's traffic teleportation, where people are so spaced out, 21% don't remember how they got from A to B. A couple of people making a mistake at the same time in the same place can be catastrophic. And while 17% of the people who took the survey say they've read a text message while behind the wheel, on the bright side, nobody admitted to watching a video while driving. When she gets into our lane, that's when we're going to shoulder check. So shoulder check now. 12% don't do that either. And then there's no aggressive left turners. They can drive and maybe they've never been in an accident before, but they're really just playing a game of risk. ICBC suggests taking a refresher driving course. Can't see why, just ask a student driver. (laughs) Navigating BC roads filled with bad influences. John Hua, Global News. And for more information about the ICBC report on our attitudes about our own driving and the driving of others, check out our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. We should see how we do on a driving test now. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't be pretty. (laughs) Disaster barely averted on the Victoria waterfront. Within three minutes, the boat was fully engulfed in flames. How his quick thinking likely saved lives when a boat caught fire at the fueling dock. And a terrorist inspired by ISIS stopped in his tracks one year ago. Now new information about the clues he may have left behind. We're learning more tonight about that boat fire in Victoria's Inner Harbour yesterday and what a close call it was for everyone. A couple from Washington State had just finished refueling their powerboat when flames broke out dangerously close to the dock. Nitu Garcha reports. A routine day for staff at this Victoria fuel dock exploded with action. We're fueling a 32-foot bayliner on the outside here and they'd finished fueling. And uh, they got back on board the boat to start the blower and ventilate the boat. Then a big pop and this. Word got around the dock that it was a gasoline vessel, not diesel. Uh, Gasoline's more explosive. It was a little frightening. I moved back a bit. We got the dog off the boat and uh, then we started to see flames. So what we did is we pushed the back of the boat out, pulled the bow around so we could push the boat directly off uh, off the dock. And uh, within three minutes, the boat was fully engulfed in flames. He says two couples from Washington State were set to travel together on the vessel. Now they're just lucky to be alive. You know, they lost everything as far as uh, passports, money, everything was gone. They only had the clothes on their back. The boat drifted to the other side of the harbor where Victoria Fire Rescue doused the flames. It was a very spectacular fire, absolutely. It was, uh, it was challenging to fight. It was very dramatic in nature. And it's certainly the largest vessel fire I've ever been involved with. The whole place was just covered in smoke. And also explosions. A couple of pops. The remains of the boat now in the care of the Canada Coast Guard. No official cause determined yet, but it may have been a faulty battery, according to Doug Foster. At least nobody got hurt. Meet to Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Well, the South Okanagan and the communities of Oliver and Osuyas are enjoying something of an economic boom, thanks to some major developments in the wine industry. One local winery, Road 13 on the Golden Mile Bench, is celebrating a stellar performance in the National Wine Awards of Canada. Road 13 was named the best in B.C. and it finished in the top four in Canada. 
And just across the river, construction is underway on the new $100 million Phantom Creek Winery, scheduled to open in 2019. We are always seeing an increase in visitors every single year. And, I mean, we're just in early August right now. And for us, we're coming close to being sold out of wine. Oliver Nassius, the South Okanagan, just being one of the premier grape-growing areas that you can find anywhere. Great place to visit, mm-hmm. right? Delicious. Well, one of the world's tallest residential towers is on fire. The unfortunately named Torch Tower is burning, and it's not the first time. Also tonight, if you never buckle up in the back of a taxi, you will after seeing this. Another bus full of refugees from the U.S. arrives at Montreal's Olympic Stadium. The city has set up an emergency shelter as it deals with a huge surge in asylum seekers. The numbers have tripled to about 150 per day, most of them Haitians. The Donald Trump administration is considering ending a program that granted tens of thousands of Haitians temporary protected status following that 2010 earthquake. It's been nearly one year since the takedown of terror suspect Aaron Driver in Ontario, and the RCMP continues to look for answers in the failed plot. Global News has learned there are still two active investigations into what happened. Lama Nicola has this exclusive report. It's a topic of conversation people in this southwestern Ontario town would rather forget, but they can't. August 10th last year, Aaron Driver was getting into a taxi on his way to carry out a bombing in the name of the so-called Islamic State when he was cornered by police. The 24-year-old triggered an explosion in the back of the taxi and was shot dead. But the case is not closed. In an exclusive interview with Global News, the RCMP's top counterterrorism officer, Assistant Commissioner James Malizia, wouldn't say what the device is and what's on it. We do have some electronic devices that were seized and that we're trying to reconstruct. It depends where the hard drive was damaged. You'd be surprised, but those storage devices are extremely resilient. So when you look at a phone and an iPad and they get damaged, the device can be crumbled up. It doesn't matter. Still data can be recovered. This digital forensics expert says investigators do this to dig into the lives of terrorists, a virtual investigation that could yield crucial evidence and intelligence, potentially thwarting future attacks. What were they doing? Who were they speaking to? What data did they have? What are their plans? Uh, Who did they email? Who are their known associates? Who was potentially funding them? A Muslim convert, Driver posted pro-ISIS propaganda on social media under an alias and was arrested in Winnipeg in 2015. He wasn't charged, but was forbidden from using electronic devices. He later moved to his sister's home in Strathroy. Many here wondered why they had never been told an ISIS supporter was living among them. But now they would rather move on. I understand the rationale to look back at it because we need to learn from what uh, what the incident did and, and what all occurred there. But for us in Strathroy, Caradoc, we just uh, want to move ahead. Lama Nicola, Global News. Young Massachusetts woman who used text messages to encourage her suicidal boyfriend to kill himself has been sentenced for involuntary manslaughter. Now sentences you to two and a half years in the Bristol County House of Correction. 20-year-old Michelle Carter was convicted after the court heard that she texted 18-year-old Conrad Roy and told him to get back in a truck that he had filled with carbon monoxide when he had second thoughts about taking his own life. 
She'll only have to serve 15 months of her sentence if she does go to prison. For now, the judge has released her pending appeal. Prosecutors had asked for 12 years. Well, many of us are guilty of it. While we religiously use our seatbelts in the front seat, we're not as likely to buckle up in the back. A new report, complete with some shocking video, aims to debunk that myth that the back seat is safer. Even at low speeds, the impact can be powerful. Tonight, jarring images of backseat passengers who didn't buckle up. In a new report from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, passengers admit they are less likely to fasten a seatbelt in the back seat because they are uncomfortable, difficult to use, and believe they are safe. A deadly misconception. It is something that can happen to anyone at any time. Rosalind Schlatter was on vacation with her family when their SUV rolled over. Her son Calvin, the only one not wearing a seatbelt, was killed. All three of my other children lived. They were all buckled. I lived. My husband lived through a horrible crash. In taxis or ride shares like Uber and Lyft, only 57% buckle up. The risk is shared by every driver, twice as likely to be killed in a crash when the passenger behind them is thrown forward. Even other passengers who are not wearing seatbelts are in danger. More than half of the people who die in passenger vehicle crashes in the U.S. are unbelted. 21 states don't require backseat passengers to buckle up. Advocates say if more did, less lives would be lost. Tonight, this is the easiest way to save lives on the road. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. And in B.C., it has been mandatory for both drivers and all passengers in a vehicle to wear their seatbelts since 1977. Just two weeks after nine people were killed by flash flooding in Arizona, hikers in Utah found themselves facing some rapidly rising water. Thank you so much. The water at Zion National Park went from ankle deep to waist deep in a matter of seconds, catching these hikers off guard. While some people panicked, most kept their cool and helped each other get across the river. No one was injured. And that massive fire burns in one of the world's tallest residential towers. Flames shooting up the side of the 86-story Torch Tower. The good news, it's reported that everyone had been evacuated and there are no major injuries. The fire is said to be under control at this hour. This is the same tower that caught fire more than two years ago. No major casualties in that fire either. Another strange insight tonight into the workings of the Donald Trump White House. The Washington Post publishing what it says is a transcript of Trump's phone call with Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto back in January. A conversation that saw Trump admitting he had painted himself into a corner over his notorious border wall. Tonight, the president's private calls unfiltered one week after taking office. Admitting to Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto he's politically cornered. I have to have Mexico pay for the wall. I have to. I've been talking about it for a two-year period. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico! Who? Mexico! In transcripts of the calls obtained by the Washington Post, the president pressures Peña Nieto to stop publicly saying Mexico won't foot the bill. You cannot say that to the press. 
Still, Mr. Trump concedes the money would likely come from elsewhere. It'll come out in the wash, and that's okay. On the epidemic of illegal drugs smuggled into the U.S., I won New Hampshire because New Hampshire is a drug-infested den. In New Hampshire today, residents displeased. I think using drug-infested den is, is, is harsh. I would never say New Hampshire is drug-infested. I would say New Hampshire has its share of the problems like the rest of the country. Another contentious call the next day with Australia's prime minister. The two leaders clashing over an Obama-era agreement that the U.S. admit refugees now detained in Australia. This is going to kill me as I'm the world's greatest person that does not want to let people into the country. Before abruptly ending the call, Mr. Trump clearly exasperated. I've had it. This is the most unpleasant call all day. Putin was a pleasant call. This is ridiculous. The White House declining to confirm the authenticity of the transcripts, but the president has repeatedly railed against leaks. We're going to find the leakers. (laughs) They're going to pay a big price for leaking. Tonight, lawmakers condemning the leakers. These people should be fired. They should be out of government. They're disloyal to our government. And I hope that that's what's going to happen. Tonight, President Trump back on the road in West Virginia, where support remains strong. Problems this country is facing were not built in a day. They're not going to be fixed in a day. It's going to take time. Part of Trump's phone call with the Mexican president dealt with Canada and indicates Trump had a positive attitude about this country when he took office. During the conversation, Trump tells Peña Nieto that Canada is no problem because the U.S. has a fair and balanced trade relationship with this country. In health news tonight, a new study shows First Nations people in B.C. are suffering disproportionately from the overdose crisis, and they are five times more likely to fall victim. B.C.'s First Nations Health Authority says while Aboriginal people make up 3.4 percent of the overall population, they account for 14 percent of overdoses and 10 percent of overdose deaths. The authority says anecdotal research shows substance abuse in Aboriginal communities is often linked to intergenerational trauma, racism and reduced access to mental health treatment. Well, sometimes nature needs a helping hand. How teamwork paid off for a group of stranded manatees in Florida. And what might be the best view of the celebration of life. Squire spends a shift with the VPD Marine Unit. A frantic group rescue effort on a Florida beach. We'll show you how it turned out right after the forecast. We'll check in right now with Wesla Wong, who's filling in for Krista tonight. Krista, Christy tonight. Wesla, nice to have you with us. Nice to uh, be with you as well. Nice to see your face, even though we are miles apart here in the Okanagan Valley. But thank goodness for some technology. We can actually show you the Vancouver Tower Cam from here in the Okanagan. And uh, speaking of nice, you know what? Even with a little bit of haze, it's still pretty nice to see that shot from the Tower Cam. We'll take a look at the current conditions uh, at YVR. 24 degrees at this hour with a bit of a hazy sky and the haze will stick around because there's very little change in the weather pattern. We'll take a look at the Almanac. 24 degrees as I mentioned for a high today. So we are still above seasonal at uh, the Vancouver Airport. In fact, we will stay above seasonal around the south coast over the next few days and I'll explain why coming up. By the way, it's been a very dry summer so far. The last rainfall recorded at the Vancouver station was July 23rd. So that makes it 20 rather 12 consecutive dry days so far at the Vancouver airport. And last month was the seventh driest July in uh, Vancouver. Here in Kelowna, even drier. In fact, we haven't seen any rain, uh, measurable rain, since June 28th here in the Okanagan Valley. That 
puts us uh, to over 35 days of consecutive dryness. Here's a look at today's highs across British Columbia. As you can see, very warm right across the B.C. central interior into the southern interior, the Kootenai area, some areas there in the upper 30s for a high today. Here's a look at the visual satellite. You can see the northern interior it's clear there, but because of the smoke from the wildfires in the central interior and that northerly wind, we are seeing some of that smoke moving into the southern half of British Columbia. Here's a look at the upper-level airflow. This little upper trough did cause some cloud in the northeastern corner of our province today, but as you can see, as I mentioned, this big upper ridge not really changing all that much. It does weaken a little bit this weekend, but the shape of it doesn't change and will continue to block any significant weather systems away. Here's a look at the BC piece over the next few days. I'm going to sound a bit like a broken record as temperatures will stay above seasonal right across the province with mainly sunny conditions with the exception of, as I mentioned, in the central interior as as well as the southern interior, those areas will see the haze sticking around over the next few days. But you can see the central interior, upper 20s for a high. Here's a look at the Columbia Kootenai, low 30s for a high here. And we'll see a bit of a temperature range in parts of uh, the Whistler Village and into the Pemberton region as well, as you can see here, as uh, areas in the Pemberton Valley will be a little bit warmer. Here's a look at what you can expect for the southeast Vancouver Island areas, also upper 20s here for a high. And it's going to stay dry right through the August long weekend. Soph and Chris, it is going to be a warm stretch from now until next week with temperatures anywhere between the mid-20s and low-30s for a high across the south coast. All right, Wesley, thanks very much. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the lake out there, as I know you do. <laughs> you bet. Right, nice photo there from Dean Newman of uh, the Naramata Bench. Mm -hmm, beautiful. Firefighters teamed up with beachgoers in Clearwater, Florida to save the lives of three stranded manatees. As many as seven manatees were beached, three were still stuck when firefighters arrived. The rescuers worked slowly and methodically to get them all safely back into the water. Experts say the manatees may have been pushed into the shallow water because of high winds and waves that had moved through the area. But a great job all around to get them all back into deeper water. So they rescue cats from trees and they manatees do. from Delaware. They do it all. They do it all. Yeah. They even hang out with Squire. We'll get to that more in a moment. Firefighters were yes, talking about actually, that, but I think you were VPD, weren't you? Yes, but the firefighters were on the water last night, too. Yeah. We'll explain shortly. Uh, but first, the CFL has decided to cut down on the number of coaches' challenges in a game. I'm going to show the fans... Uh, that people are hearing them that run the league. It's all designed to speed up the game because reviews can be boring. No doubt. And what might be the best view of the fireworks? This is definitely not boring. What it's like watching the celebration of lights with the VPD Marine Unit. All right, Squire. Yes. What do you have for us? Well, I'm going to start with this whole challenge thing and how the CFL is... Uh, Reviewing its review process. The CFL head office felt their game was challenge challenged. They were allowing too many chances for coaches to second guess the referees through video review. So they have trimmed the number of challenges in a game and it's effective immediately. After review, pass interference, BC number zero. The whole idea behind coaches' challenges in the CFL is to eventually get the call right. But there have been two big problems so far. Number one, the so-called command center that reviews the plays in Toronto has made some puzzling decisions, like this controversial pass interference call versus the Lions last week that led to an Edmonton touchdown instead of a Lions turnover. And coaches have been slowing the game down to a crawl, using up to three challenges per night. 
Now the league has stepped in. One challenge per game, and that's it. Decision to go to one challenge eliminates a lot of the fishing, eliminates a lot of the delays. And, you know, with so many great games this year, this is only going to make the game better. Maybe they, if they abused it, it wasn't their fault, but the rules have changed now, so, you know, things will be different. The game will flow a lot faster, and, um, you know, fans should be more happy. The happiest guys are the defensive backs, who through super slow motion have had what they thought were great defensive plays turned into pass interference calls after video review. Now with just one challenge, coaches won't be so flag happy. Definitely, we're looking forward to it now. I know guys are saying now we can play and actually not have to worry about all these accidental pass interference and all the coaches' challenges. Now guys just have to go out there and compete and basically win your one-on-one -on -one battles. Truthfully, there are literally penalties on every play in the CFL. There are battles going on all over the field. So the coaches' challenge amendment means it'll be a little more old school. You know, because now receivers can't get up every play, like throwing their hands up and trying to find the little things that to try to for, for the refs to watch out for. So we're actually really excited and looking forward to this. Sounds like the receivers are kind of whiny in this league. They oh, there's definitely some crybabies in this league. <laughs> I'm not going to say any names, but there's definitely some crybabies in this league. Whether it goes in our favor or works against us, we have to move on to the next play. So you just kind of train your brain to not emotionally get overly involved in the decision that you know an official makes because uh, you know there's nothing I can do about it. Very delay global sports. 23-yard return. Calgary, Toronto tonight. Second quarter action. This is Roy Finch. He started 103 yards away from the other end zone. Look at that head fake. And now speed is what you need. And he's got lots. Second straight week, he has a return touchdown. Calgary wins it. Well, actually, Calgary leads at that point, 17-7. But they'll win it. Don't worry about that. Late in the second, Boley by Mitchell. Tavares Daniels, that's 44 yards. Come on, five Argos. Couldn't stop him. Big lead for Calgary in the third quarter. Well, Neymar Jr. isn't the best soccer player in the world. He's very good, one of the best, but he's not Ronaldo. He's not Messi. But he is worth, apparently, a quarter of a billion dollars U.S. to Paris Saint-Germain. That's what they paid Barcelona to allow Neymar Jr. to leave that team and join PSG. Officially, 222 million euros for the transfer. 236 million U.S., 331 million Canadian, and I don't know how many Bitcoins. And if you're wondering, that's the biggest transfer fee ever for a soccer player. The old record, 124 million U.S. that Man U paid to get Paul Pogba. Now, Neymar scored 105 goals playing alongside Messi and Suarez at Barcelona. He also set up a lot as well. And Barcelona likely will not wait long to spend this transfer money they got. They'll find another star to play for their team. As for Paris Saint-Germain, they're good already, but Neymar should take them to another level. If he doesn't, this will be the most expensive mistake in soccer history. Do you see the squirrel, Aaron? A squirrel is driving Jason Day nuts. Look at this. He just wants a closer look. He paid his ticket. Kidding. Paid his money, he got his ticket, he just wants to get a close look. It's a big squirrel. It is a big squirrel. Well, it's a big event. It's the World Golf Championship, and that's Jordan Spieth, 51 feet away, 3 under 67. Two off the lead, Rory McIlroy. Great bunker shot here. Led to a birdie. He is at 67. Longer shot than I thought, but that's above the hole. 
And then Dustin Johnson from 92 yards away pitches it to within a foot. Two under 68 for Johnson. What about Adam Hadwin? Six foot par putt. Two under 68 tied for ninth. The leader is Thomas Peters of Belgium. This is about 32 feet away for Birdie. Big gang of megastars. Yep. Really coming, trying to... Five under 65. There is your leader after one round. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. You're welcome. We'll check in with Andrew and now on a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Anne. Thanks, Chris. Mission RCMP are warning the public tonight that a man may have been engaging in unprotected sex while failing to disclose to his partners he has HIV. Police say 47-year-old Brian Carlisle has postings on several social media and dating sites. He's facing three counts of aggravated sexual assault and appeared in court today and has since been released. Police believe the offenses may have happened in Mission, Abbotsford, Coquitlam, and Burnaby. Anyone who may have been intimately involved with him should visit their physician. We'll have more on this story and the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, and thank you. Up next, watching from the water, Squire takes in the celebration of life from the Vancouver police boat. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Coming up on ET Canada, LA welcomes Will and Grace with a ribbon cutting ceremony. Bieber explains why he cut his tour short, sort of, and movie previews of Detroit and the Dark Tower. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Awesome. Thank you, Sangita. Okay, Sophie judges the fireworks. You did that last night. We know you got a great seat for that. I have a that. great seat, but not as good as yours. Not as good as Squires. Well, last night we decided to uh, hang out with the uh, Vancouver Police Department Marine Unit. They're not the only ones out on the water. RCMP is out there, Vancouver Fire Department, uh, Transport Canada, the province mm-hmm. has some people out there, basically to keep everybody safe who are watching from boats. And, and the VPD, of course, is out there every day making sure our waterways are safe and uh, other things. So here's our little trip with the VPD last night. Here we go. Not everybody at English Bay watches the fireworks. The Vancouver police and fellow agencies are there to make sure the ones who do watch are safe. And the line of boats in front of you, yes. you have to be on the other side of the line. Other side. The idea is to keep boaters at a safe distance away from the fireworks barge itself. Well, I mean, two, two, three hundred meters from from the barge. Yeah. If we weren't here, they'd they'd get right up to the barge if they, you know, they don't know any better. Hours before the beaches fill and the show starts. Both BPD boats are working the water. And it's not all about fireworks. For example, Transport Canada has deemed this boat unsafe. They're on it, it's sinking. Okay, okay. It's so a detention order, but they want it taken to a dock somewhere. Yeah, it's not safe to be on the water. Okay. Is this, is this a problem that we see all the time, sort of derelict boats? Yes. People can uh, function year-round living on their boat, but if it's not in a good state of repair, or it's not, uh, it doesn't have the appropriate safety uh, appliances and that, I mean, it could become a, a death trap, you know, okay. for all intents and purposes. Even the safety of those on the barge is part of their night. Should something intense happen, we'll be on the outside of the steel wall. If something goes further than that, we'll be on the rope at the bottom, just outside the, uh, the shack with our headlamps on. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we'll come in and pick you up yeah. and take you away from the barge. But the most intense moments of the night, when the show is over and it becomes rush hour. 
we're, we're working in a narrow channel here with every uh, gamut of vessel you can imagine out there. Hey, Paddle Border. Where are your lights? So a good night is everybody gets home safely. A good night is always when people get home safely. That is our number one goal. The amount of small boats the and small border. little people uh, and little small little vessels trying to get back home with big vessels around them, it's